The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Here we are once again, walking beside still waters. And as we walk, we are considering what it means to be counter-culture change agents. Counter-culture change agents. How is cultural change effected? What is needful to have viable impact in people's lives? Did the Lord Jesus give us any insight into affecting change in our culture? The global purpose of the Christian, the devotee, is firstly to be salt and then light. Because Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, if it has become insipid, wherewith shall it be salted? It is no longer fit for anything but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot. He also said, you are the light of the world. A city situated on top of a mountain cannot be hid. Neither do men light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but upon the light, the uh, lampstand, and it shines for all who are in the house. And then he gives the exhortation, Let your light thus shine before men, that they might see your upright works. So there is a dynamic at play here. We have the effect of the life and we have the fruitage of the life, the good works, righteous works. And we will find that there are people who do righteous works, but they may not be righteous people. So it's a two-fold dynamic the right life and the right works. A salty life, a light-giving life. And God's eye is fixed on this about men. The life, what is the person's life like? God's eye is also fixed on the cosmos, this 
ordered cosmopolitan place that governs our lives, that arrests our attention. In fact, if you recall that part of the temptation of Satan to our Lord Jesus, coming closer to the end of his 40-day fast, Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world, of the cosmos, and their glory. And he says, I'll give you all of this if you will bow down and worship me. So the cosmos, the, the ordered, structured arrangement of societal norms and practices, the glory and the riches and wealth of it, is where God is placing light. He's commanding the light to shine, and that's what we are. But his eye, God's eye, is also on the value of souls versus the value that is embedded in the cosmos. Uh, We are told, for example, in Matthew 16 and 26, uh, the Lord Jesus Uh, contrasting or challenging, you know, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And he makes the contrast, if it's worth losing your own soul and gaining the world. So there, there are two commodities here. We can gain what is in the cosmos, but are we shining? Are we affecting the culture? Are we causing cultural change, and not by picketing, (laughs) uh, and standing with signs? And we'll learn a little later on in our conversation as we walk beside these quiet waters. What is a man profited if he shall gain the cosmos and lose his soul? This rich life-preserving mineral, that is, salt, forms the base preservative. It's the base of all minerals. Salt, it's the conglomerate of, of other minerals as well, but it's something about salt, it's preserving ability. It's ability to slow decay. This is the Christian. This is the Christian. This is the intended purpose of the disciple. And Jesus says, if that distinction is lost, your life has no ability to be a change agent. If this distinctive is lost, if the saltiness is lost, If your influence is tainted and hidden, there is no value, no ability to impact the cosmos. In the beginning, that is in Genesis, when the earth was without form and void, light was commanded to be. Jehovah Elohim said, light be. And light was. In the uh, Anglo-Saxon terminology, we are told, let there be light. 
But in the original languages, it's light be. God commanded light to be formed out of darkness. And the one element that is ubiquitous in the earth and throughout the cosmos are people. People everywhere. And when we consider what does it take for a man, a woman, a person to be a counter-culture change agent, they have to be sprinkled, spread, commanded to be among people. So let's think about your influence. Where do you live? What places do you frequent? Where is your voice heard? How is your influence experienced? Where is your place of business? Where do you earn a living? You may have a ministry. What is the location of your ministry? Who are your acquaintances? And so God providentially sprinkles us in places and among people for one purpose, to give and have a life-preserving, hope-giving, eternal impact on a dark, chaotic cosmos, just like he did in the creation of the world. The earth was without form and void, and he commanded light to be. So, too, we are placed in the cosmos as a life-preserving, hope-giving, eternally impacting element, light. Second, and, and importantly, is the fact that this impact is by the power and influence of a changed life. We, we will take a look at John the Baptist, who is a perfect example of this. The impact, the power and influence of a life that has been transformed by the grace of God. This life gives power gives dunamis to our words and not the reverse. So often in Christian circles, we have Christians that are adept at speaking, if you've ever heard the term Christianese. <laughs> it is the, the use of biblical phrases and words you know, we might say, praise the Lord and glory to God. And we'll quote scriptures and put scriptures in, in chat rooms and on texts and in voicemails. And in our conversation, you know, we quote a scripture here and there. And, and people know, well, they must be Christians. However, our lives are powerless to impact people because we've lost our savor, our saltiness. We have covered the light. And, and you ask, well, how can a person obtain light in their lives, become light to be commanded by God to pierce the darkness and illumine the chaos that exists 
How can we be change agents like salt, preserving the cosmos from utter decay? My dear friend, if I live in the power of God's Spirit, it is impossible to hide the light of who I really am. And if I live a life that quenches the power and presence of God's Spirit, I negatively impact the effectiveness of my life. That opportunity to have a life that is impactful, that is effective in commanding and causing change without a whole lot of pretentious behavior and use of certain language and words to tell people I'm a Christian. But if the, the, the quality and the expression of my life demonstrates by my works, my words, that I am if you will, filled, my life is pregnant with the presence of the Holy Spirit of God, I will, you will become a counterculture change agent. Am I salty? Are you salty? Does your life have effect? And you say to yourself, well, how will I know? You will know. We will know if our lives are effective. We will know. You cannot but know because you will see the effect that you have on the people within your social circle. In fact, uh, when uh, Paul wrote to the church at Rome... He said, for example, that if you live according to the flesh, you shall die. A life lived where the fallen human nature influences more of my behavior and my thinking if the fallen, corrupt human nature becomes the bane of all that is corrupt and rottening in my life, this causes ruin. This is the core of human depravity, the flesh, the fallen human nature. And what happens typically, what we do is, we attempt to mitigate a flesh-filled life by sounding as though we are light and salt. We sound it because we quote scripture, we use certain terminology, we praise the Lord, but when people examine our behavior or sometimes our wit is cutting and hurtful to people, we denigrate people, we rob them of their dignity by treating them in such a way that we are obviously calloused and not filled with the gentleness of the presence of the Spirit of God. And so Paul could say, if you live after the flesh, if the flesh governs your conduct, death surrounds you, my friend. <laughs> 
the fallen, corrupt nature and all that springs from it affects those around you. But look at what he says. He says, but if by the Spirit or in the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. So the options are quite simple. I can make a clear examination of my life, my words, my treatment of people, my walk with God. Is it beside still waters? Or is my walk like being among thorn bushes, prickly, painful for people, hurtful for people? And he says, if by the Spirit of God, that those behaviors that clearly indicate I'm not salty and clearly indicates I'm not full of life, if they're put to death, guess what happens? Life springs forth. The Holy Spirit's power and filling is the very basis for affecting the earth and spreading the light of a regenerated life. This is so vital. Peter writes, I'm sorry, Paul, in writing to Titus, speaks of the regenerative power and working of God's Spirit. I'd like you to consider, just for just a little while, the life of John the Baptist. I, this is so interesting, and, uh, and the beauty of it sometimes <laughs> escapes us. But John had a very unique life. And we are told of John the Baptist that he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, this was his message, repent for the kingdom of the heavens has drawn near. Very simple message. The kingdom of God is at hand. Why? Because the king is in our midst. (laughs) So there's not a lot to say, but what he is saying is of great import. Okay, And it says concerning John and his person, this is he who has been spoken of through Isaiah the prophet, saying, Voice of one, a voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. And then we, we, we learn a little bit about John, that he himself had his garment, his clothing was just camel's hair and a leather girdle about his loins. And his nourishment was locusts and wild honey. Very simple man. He lived what is considered to be a fasting lifestyle. He didn't eat the sumptuous meals that perhaps governed the day, the things that that titillate the palate. No. A very simple way of eating, a very sparse way of eating, a fasting life, if you will. But look at what it says. Then went out to him, Jerusalem, and all Judea, and the country round the Jordan, and were baptized by him, confessing their sins. This is noteworthy. You see, here we are, holding the hand of God. And allowing the waters to run past us, bubbling away in a quiet place. And here the Spirit of God 
whispers to our hearts that the very thing that makes you and me a counterculture change agent is the power of a life in which the Holy Spirit reigns in the Holy of Holies in me, in that sacred place in my being. He reigns. There are no words, no pretentious Christian conduct, no Christianese uh, verbiage that will ever be able to affect people like this. John had a very simple message. The king is in our midst. Live in such a way that I'm walking the straight and narrow path. I need to get ready. I need to prepare a way. In fact, if I were to ask you, have you and I prepared our hearts? Have we made ready in our hearts a way that the Spirit of God can have free reign, free concourse to and fro throughout all the rooms in our heart, in our life? Does he have this liberty in us? And how do we know that John's life was effective? Well, now remember, this is he who was crying in the wilderness. Now, perhaps he lived where people in their travels would have to come you know, uh, uh, via certain main pathways and roads because the Romans were known for their, uh, their system of roads. But one way or the other, they passed where John is and where his preaching was happening. And listen, because this is the record of the Spirit of God. In chapter 3 of Matthew, verse 5, it says clearly, Then went out to him. Then went out to him. John's walk with God was such that it was clear that he subordinated himself to the presence and glory and authority of the living God in his life. He lived a life where his passions were subject to the presence of the Spirit of God. His life was lean and not caught up in the allurements of the cosmos. And therefore, he was clear in his living and in his messaging to the extent that there was free reign of the Spirit of God, and thus, please bear in mind, and thus God the Spirit moved the people to go to him. And we are told that Jerusalem, all the Judean uh, area, and all the country around the Jordan, the Jordanian Valley, the Judean district, and Jerusalem went to John. So you ask yourself yet again the question, if I am walking with God in a manner that gives preeminence to his presence, in my life, 
a love for his voice, his word, time in his presence, in secret, in prayer, a life that is demonstrative of good works, righteous works. The Spirit of God having his way. God will bring and broaden our influence to the extent that people will see the light of our lives and people will feel the effect of a salty, righteous life filled with clear, distinctive good works. You see, we think that, and yes, we go into all the world and we preach the gospel. But I've known many that have gone into the world preaching the gospel with a saltless life and a light-covered life. And they marvel that they are ineffective. Why? Because whether we want to admit it or not, people do not see the light of our lives. Why? Because our unrighteous works have dimmed the light and glory and presence of the Spirit of God in our lives. But here, it was the Spirit of God that moved the people to go to John. And his life was so effective as a counter-culture influencer that they evidenced their changed lives in baptism But most importantly, they acknowledged their unrighteous works. They confessed their sins. They understood clearly what the mark and high calling of God was for their lives. And when they examined their lives, it was clear to them, I missed the mark. And you say to yourself, well, if I'm a uh, counterculture change agent... How do I know that I'm having an effect on people? It's really very simple. If people are caused to look at themselves and recognize, I've missed a mark. You don't have to tell them because they've already examined your life and see what it means to hit the mark. But they see in themselves, I've missed the mark. And they owned it. I am a counterculture change agent when I affect people in such a way that when they leave my presence, they are aware of how they have missed the mark before God. And I'm not the one condemning them. The Spirit of God who brought them into my sphere of influence opened their eyes to see the quality and impact, or lack thereof, of their lives. So the first takeaway is that without the filling of the Holy Spirit of God, we have no effectiveness in the culture. Without the filling of the Spirit of God, we have no effectiveness. John stayed in the wilderness, but God brought them to John. What made the difference? An effective, counterculture, impactful life manifests itself when God causes 
people to come into your sphere of influence. And because of that interaction and contact with you, they see themselves, they see the quality of their lives, they see the need for a change and a filling of the Spirit of God, that they too might be sensitive to the presence of God. People are awakened by his presence filling you and me. I repeat, people are awakened by his presence filling your life and filling mine. Lastly, let's talk about the power. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the power. So if we were to go, for example, to Matthew chapter 10, uh, this is where the Lord Jesus um, uh, sends his uh, disciples, if you will, uh, on a mission. <laughs> uh, and he, would, he told them, uh, for example, uh, he gave them the parameters of their sending forth, and uh, they were uh, to go to the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel among Jewish people, and not the Gentiles. And he told them what to say, that the kingdom of God is drawn near. He told them what to do. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. And he told them how to go. They were to go trusting God for providing for them. So the Lord Jesus determined the going parameters. And just like light, when he commanded in the creation, light be, and it filled the chaotic cosmos, the earth that was formless and void, Light filled the cosmos. It spread far and wide. Light revealed the chaos. It revealed what was unseen on the earth in the, in the beginning of creation. And so too, he is sending them forth among the Jewish people at that time. And uh, by virtue of their mandate, they were going to affect people because he told them that, of course, that there might be some in their, their proclamation um, uh, that uh, there would not be peace between them. And he said, uh, you know, if you enter into a house, salute it. But if the house indeed is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And then he said this because obviously as salt, they were going to impact their culture. And in our next podcast, we're going to look at, at what this, we're going to really drill down and consider carefully what happens when salt meets decay? <laughs> what happens when salt meets decay? But that's for a future podcast. You'll see what the effect is. It's an interesting learning that the Spirit of God will give to us. But I digress. But he says, Whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words as you go forth out of that house or city, shake off the dust off your feet. So there was a clear expectation that some will embrace the effect of our lives and teaching and living as counterculture change agents and others might just flatly reject it. So here's the second lesson that we're coming to. Paul could write in uh, Philippians chapter 1 and about verse 20, he was writing that his earnest desire is that Christ would be magnified in him. 
Okay, this is interesting because we, you know, we, we want to have an effect on our culture and we go about using the tools and methodology of the day. That is not the way the Spirit of God intended the devotee, the Christian, the disciple to affect change in the culture. The way to affect change is that Christ who lives in me, according to Galatians 2 and 20, it has to be magnified in me. People need to see Christ in me. They've seen a lot of me. <laughs> and that's just the problem. They've seen a lot of me. And anyone who sees me sees and experiences decay. They need to see Christ magnified. When I was a kid, I loved magnifying glasses because I would bring them close to the object, and I could see details that are absent, that, that are hidden from my naked eyesight. Christ needs to be magnified. People need to see the beauty of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ filling my life. And many of us, we are, we are bankrupt. We're, it is absent. Christ is just minimally seen. And we wonder why we have no effect on people for good. Paul could also say in the same uh, chapter 1, for me to live is Christ. His objective <laughs> is to do and experience what we are doing at Beside Still Waters. To walk with God. To be sensitive to the presence, power, of God, to be mindful of his holiness, his righteousness, his desire to fill my mind, my thinking. In fact, in, in Philippians uh, chapter 2, uh, beginning at about verse 6, he said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So to me, to live is Christ. My heart's desire is that Christ, not, not Christian, not you, call your name, not you, Christ might be magnified in me. Thirdly, that my mind, that his mind might be my mind, that I would want to think his thoughts, that I want to view people through his eyes and respond to them as such. This is, this is so vital, and, and many of us miss the import of this. And we are insensitive to the presence of the Spirit of God. And so Paul could write concerning the Lord Jesus, that although he, in, in about verse 6 of chapter 2 of, of, of his letter to the Philippian church, he says he subsisted in the form of God. He was very God himself, but he did not esteem that reality of being God something to grasp onto. To, he was not filled with rapine, you know, the desire that consumes a thief, that he wants to get to your goods, hold on to your goods, take your goods, profit from your goods at all your expense. And though our Lord Jesus subsisted as God, he did not hold that fact of his divinity as something to be grasped with tight seizure. But he was filled with humility. He emptied himself. 
He emptied. He was willing to yield to the very circumstances that would literally humiliate and humble him. We go back to the Gospels and we see that as he spent time in the garden, earnestly praying, pouring out his heart to God, his body oozing blood and perhaps sweat mixed together because he was about to bear in his body the sins of the whole world, past, present, and future. And he, in humility, was willing to yield to his Father's will, knowing what that would entail, the death of the cross, the judgment that was due to my crimes and yours against God, the humiliating treatment that he would endure, the pain, the loss, the shame. But he trusted the Father's providential working implicitly to the extent that he could say, Not my will, but your will be done. But he also had the promise in Matthew uh, chapter 20, I believe, verse 19, that he would rise again the third day. His complete confidence was in the promises of his heavenly Father that this would be a night of suffering. And he would enter into the caverns of hell, (laughs) bearing your judgment and mine, but that he would rise again the third day. And he surrendered, we are told in Philippians, becoming obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, Philippians 2.8. He trusted the Father implicitly. He yielded to the circumstances, (laughs) the trial that he would endure for the night and, of course, the next day following, leading to his eventual death, nailed to a Roman cross. And here's the second lesson for you and me when we consider becoming counter-culture change agents. We think about the influence we want to have, but there's an underside to that coin. We must, by God's grace, embrace the current trial, the circumstance that we are facing right now as my divinely sent event to cause me to Humble myself before God. This is what James says in his writing to the Christians scattered throughout Asia. He says, Count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing this, that the trial of your faith produces endurance, but let endurance have its perfect work that you might be complete and entire, lacking nothing. God has sent a circumstance, a trial, To do what? (laughs) To give me and you the opportunity to embrace it and to beseech God our Father for the grace and strength, power, filling the Spirit of God in greater measure, not only to do His will in the trial, but to submit to His will in the trial and ask Him, to be glorified in my life, to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say to you, my dear brother and sister, (laughs) as we are walking again with God beside still waters, you might consider that God has allowed some trial that causes you pain, that causes you tears. Ask God to give you the grace to embrace it, 
Thank God for allowing it, for causing it to come into your life. Yield in the presence and power of the Spirit of God to the trial and ask God to produce the fruitage in your life for his glory. Oh, my dear friend, this trial is the preordained package sent by a loving Father filtered through his love to work a change in my character, my behavior, my life, that I, that you might have influence among men. And having learned the lessons of faith and trust and responding in humility, having embraced it and caused that the Spirit of God might change us, God prepares us that he can now bring people into our lives that would be blessed because of what we have lived and learned by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in us. Oh, my friends, do not ask for deliverance, but beg God for grace to embrace what he has allowed, to love and trust his providential care for you and me, and to use our lives for his glory and to be of benefit and blessing to those that we encounter as we meander throughout the cosmos, sprinkled like salt in sundry places, not for our good, but for the good of others. Oh, may God use our lives, change our hearts, change our minds as we hold the holy hands of God walking beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.